You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. How's it going, Resonate Church? My name is James Clark. I'm the site pastor over at Resonate Bellingham. Go Vikings! And it is an honor to be here speaking to all of you today. So a few months ago when I was first asked if I could teach from the book of James, I was actually really excited about it. And not just because we have the same name, that probably will get a little confusing, but when I was in college, um, as a new fresh believer, I actually attempted to memorize the entire book of James. Mostly, I tried to because I had a bunch of friends who said that I couldn't, and the best way to get me to do something is to say, you can't do it. So if you know one thing about me, it's that I have a terrible memory drives my wife crazy. Like one time I walked into a room, I introduced myself to the same guy twice within 10 minutes. He didn't talk to me again. Anyways, terrible memory, but I was trying to memorize the book of James. And I remember that I was just digging into it. I was memorizing a verse a day. I was literally cutting class to read the Bible. That sounds really holy, but it's actually really foolish. Because about two months in, uh, I'd studied about the first two chapters and finals week hit. I hadn't been to class in a month. I knew all of the first two chapters of James but I knew nothing about my school. So what did I do? I pulled the classic college student move, stayed up all night, drank a bunch of Red Bulls, pulled some all-nighters, and barely passed my tests. So I barely graduated because of that. Unfortunately, I completely forgot the book of James. It's all out of my head. And even then, I kind of remember the first two chapters a bit, but today we are actually talking about chapter three. So this text is new to me as well as you. All that aside, uh, I'm excited to get into the inspired Word of God with you today, uh, specifically James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And before we get into that text, I wanted to just give us a quick reminder of the context in which we find ourselves. So James is a book written by a dude named James, right? James is the brother of Jesus, um, and he's writing to dispersed Jewish followers of Jesus. So these Jews that he's writing to have experienced persecution, They've been exiled, and likely they're in poverty because of their faith in Jesus. So the people he's writing to, they're they're struggling, they're suffering, but they believe in Jesus and have joy out of that. So James pulls no punches in this narrative, uh, and he speaks a lot of truth. And the center core tenet, like the, the main principle of the book of James that we've seen over and over, is that internal change from God always results in an external action. So internal change always means something happens out of us. This is indicated through our action, Um, whether that be the way that we speak, whether that be the way that we serve or love others. Uh, As Pastor Trantham so eloquently explained two weeks ago, the works described in the book of James are not what save us, but the indicator of true saving faith. So James 3, verses 13 through 18, it has a message for all of us that is rooted in action. So be ready for that. It's going to press into many of us. It pressed into me personally. So be ready to be challenged, not just in how you think, but in what you do and what that says about you. So without further ado, James 3, verses 13 through 18. It says this, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, 
than peace-loving, considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Ultimately, this is all about wisdom. At the beginning of the passage, James calls out to his audience who might think themselves wise with this question, who among you is wise and understanding? Will the wise people please stand up? So I would pose a similar question to all of you. What does wisdom look like? When I say the word wisdom, what comes to mind for you? Uh, Many Christians, they would look to King Solomon, who was the wisest of his time. Um, Maybe they would look to Jesus, who I would agree is the wisest person to ever live, although he has a bit of an unfair advantage also being God as a person. So I know that when I personally hear the word wisdom, the picture in my head looks a little bit like maybe an elderly dude. Uh, Maybe he has a big beard, maybe like a pointy hat. He looks something like this. Uh, Unfortunately, um, I'm a huge nerd, which is why I love Dumbledore and Gandalf, and they're the first that come to mind when I think of wisdom. Um, but the main reason that I show you this picture is to, is, to, is to make the point that sometimes when we hear the word wisdom, the image that comes into our mind might differ greatly from what the Bible teaches about wisdom. So like me, some of us might picture grizzled old sages who kind of look the same, but they're not the same person, I promise. Um, Some of us actually might picture financial investors. Sometimes we link wisdom to the ability to make a lot of money and to be wise with our money. So before we get into the passage in James, we need to understand the biblical view of wisdom. We need to know what the Bible teaches about it. It's not Gandalf, it's not Dumbledore, it's not uh, the, the richest person you know. So what better place to look than the book of Proverbs? So I'm gonna rapid fire, go through a couple of Proverbs, and these are gonna paint a picture of what biblical wisdom is. Number one, Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Next we got Proverbs 2 6. For the Lord gives wisdom From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Next, Proverbs 2, 9 through 10. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Then finally, Proverbs 2, verse 20. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. So if you want a picture of wisdom, just go and read Proverbs too, right? That's a great place to start. And there's so much in there that I can't get into today. But just to give us like the spark notes, the main point like of of what wisdom is, the first thing we need to understand is that biblical wisdom originates with God. It originates with God. What that means is there is no other source of wisdom. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding, the meaning there being that wisdom is born from God. He is the creator of wisdom. There is no other source of wisdom outside of God. So if somebody that you know or a book that you read or something were to set itself up and have a wise statement that is different than something that God would speak in the Bible or, or that the wisdom he has given you, then that is not wisdom. There is no wisdom that sets itself up in contrast to the wisdom of God. There is no true wisdom apart from the creator. Number two, God, number one, God is the originator of, of wisdom. Number two, wisdom is a gracious gift to us from our creator. It says, for the Lord gives his wisdom. We are incapable of wisdom outside of what the Father has given to us. We cannot conjure it up on our own. 
uh, God gives us wisdom in three main ways. The first is through the, the giving of the Bible. We read the book, uh, we read what God has given to us in the scriptures, and wisdom can be found in there. So that is a gift from God, wisdom through the Bible. The second way, sometimes you'll see people who don't know Jesus um, speaking things that are wise. Sometimes these things come out of us. Uh, I believe that through common grace and the fact that all are made in the image of God, we have been given the gift of wisdom intrinsically by God. Many of us have a gift of wisdom that God has given us intrinsically through common grace. And then finally, wisdom is revealed to God's people through the power of the Holy Spirit moving in us after we are, re are, are found in Christ. So you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we receive wisdom as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. So number one, biblical wisdom comes from God. Number two, it is a gift to us from God. Number three, wisdom is displayed or you could say proven through a growing understanding of who God is. Proverbs 9.10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When he says fear of the Lord, that refers to a natural awe and a natural reverence, and yes, even terror that we might experience when we understand who God is. So imagine yourself, you're about a mile away and there's a hurricane happening nearby you. You're not in danger of the hurricane, but you can feel the winds. The winds are almost knocking you over and you can just see the destruction caused by the power below you. Are you not going to feel a certain awe? If anyone who's been around a natural disaster, there's an awe that comes around at the sheer power, the unstoppable nature of what you are beholding, but it's also kind of scary. It's a little scary to see something that is so beyond our power and control. How much more so with the one who commands the hurricanes, the one who commands the very motions of the universe? So thankfully, we know that unlike a hurricane, God actually loves and cherishes us. But the very beginning of wisdom is the understanding that God is so terrifyingly beyond our comprehension and so unbelievably powerful. He's beyond our understanding, but he's also a wonderful and gracious father to us. That is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Lastly, wisdom is displayed by proper action. In light of having received wisdom, Proverbs 2.20 teaches this, thus you will walk in the ways of good and keep to the paths of the righteous. So wisdom is not just having knowledge and not just having an understanding of who God is. Wisdom requires the proper application of the knowledge that God gives us in good works and conduct. You see in the New Testament, there's a bunch of times where Jesus will approach somebody who is inhabited by demons. And the demons, they know who Jesus is and they seem afraid of him. But would you call a demon wise? No, because they continue to live in disobedience to God, which is the height of folly. So if your wisdom and your knowledge of God, if there's no obedience that is manifested by this, then that is not wisdom because wisdom is displayed by proper action. That is the fruit of wisdom. So interestingly, this Proverbs definition that we just went through of wisdom, it doesn't look like a wizened old man with a beard. It doesn't look like a financial guru who, who knows all the answers. There's not a baseline age. There's not a level of intelligence. There's not a gender. There's not monetary success attached to wisdom. Because at the end of the day, what the Bible teaches is different than what we have learned about wisdom and what our parents are, or what our friends would tell us wisdom is. So in light of this, in light of the understanding of what wisdom is, that true wisdom is a gift from God that manifests itself in action. Let's look back at James. Now that we know what wisdom is, let's look back at, at James 3, verses 3 through 18. We're gonna read it one more time. Who is wise in understanding among you? 
Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. It is considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and secure, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." Like we said earlier, James begins this with a challenge to his readers, who is wise and understanding among you? He then re- utilizes the rest of this passage to juxtapose two main concepts. The first of these concepts is heavenly wisdom that we have already discussed, right? The, the, the wisdom that comes from God that Proverbs teaches about. The second is a type of wisdom that James calls earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. Now that's a crazy word. So what James describes as wisdom from above is exactly the same as the Proverbs definition, right? And that's proven in verse 13. James asks, who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by what? By their good life, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So again, we are reiterating that that wisdom is displayed in good works, but there's one word that James uses here that I want us to land on. It is wildly important in the context of wisdom and in the way that we live life towards one another in the church. And that word is humility. Humility that comes from wisdom. Humility that exists is a result of wisdom. So what is humility? According to Merriam-Webster, humility is freedom from pride or arrogance. Humility is freedom from pride or arrogance. I like that definition. So as we know, Heavenly wisdom comes from God, right? And it manifests itself in knowledge and good works. Let me read a passage for you from the Old Testament. Uh, In this passage, God is responding to a faithful man, but this faithful man has challenged God, and God is revealing himself. This is what it says in Job 38, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said this, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its definite dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. This goes on for much longer. Who were you? Where were you? God is, is confronting Job and saying, I am other. I am so beyond you. I am so powerful. You did not see the beginnings of the world when I created everything. How do you think Job felt when he heard this? Do you think he felt arrogant or proud? There's no way. Job was humbled to the dust by this language. God in his graciousness, he he blesses Job in the midst of this, but the first thing that God does is give Job but a glimpse, a small picture of his greatness, of God's power. It's not even close. In light of understanding, even to the smallest degree, the magnitude of the glory and power of God, we are humbled to the dust. So if heavenly wisdom is revelation from God about God, then humility is the fruit of wisdom. Let me say it another way. Heavenly wisdom always leads to humility. In the same way that faith without works is no faith at all, then the one who is arrogant has no wisdom. 
Humility is the outpouring of heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom is always humble. We receive freedom from pride and arrogance when we're no longer comparing ourselves to the people around us, but when we gaze upon the glory of our creator, just as Job was given a glimpse of God, when we get a glimpse of that, our, our humility springs up in us because we cannot be arrogant in the face of such power, of such glory and goodness. We receive freedom from pride and arrogance even more so when we remember the gospel. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. As humans, we are the most humble and wretched creatures in existence because of sin. How can you read that and live in arrogance? But thank God for the truth we find in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, and also 8. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Get this, for by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. When we know that we were saved by Jesus at great cost, that saving faith was not something that we accomplished, but that was given to us in our depravity, we are simultaneously elated, brought to the heavens, and then humbled down to the dust in understanding that Jesus had to die for us. There is nothing more joyfully humbling than the story of the gospel, and that is wisdom in seeing it. So I would ask those among us, if you walk in arrogance or pride or selfishness, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? Have you reflected on the magnitude of his work and the utter spiritual and moral helplessness you are in without his sacrifice and resurrection? If we're given wisdom through the revelation of God, the first and most important step is understanding the crushingly joyful realities of the gospel. So, with that in mind, with the humility that comes from wisdom in mind, let's return to James. We've talked a lot about heavenly wisdom, right? So let's look at the earthly or demonic wisdom. What does that mean? The first thing we need to understand is that James is writing this letter to a group of people and he is responding to problems within the church. So in these days, uh, the Bible didn't exist in the form that it does today, right? Uh, doctrine probably varied based on who your teacher was. It was a little more chaotic than what you see today. So Paul and a few other writers, including James, they would write to these churches, these letters that had encouragement, but also they would have correction around theological or moral problems. So most biblical scholars and commentators would agree that when James is talking about demonic or earthly wisdom, he is talking about a problem that his readers would have had, a specific thing. So, and this is what that thing is. This is what most people see that thing to be. So, demonic earthly wisdom in this context is talking about a group of people who are influential and intelligent. Influential and intelligent people who are well-respected, who in their intelligence would arrogantly purport their views. They would jockey for position and, call divi and cause division. According to verse 14, these so-called wise guys, these wise dudes, would harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition. And if you look at envy and ambition, there is nothing more different than humility. They're opposite to the humility that heavenly wisdom brings us. So in the days of James, in the group he's writing to, you have smart and respected individuals that are causing trouble. 
because their supposed wisdom was not led by humility, but by a desire to win arguments. Their supposed wisdom led them to believe that they should be in charge or that their ideas were the only ones worth hearing. And their supposed wisdom caused, caused disorder and all kinds of evil because they're operating out of a worldly wisdom, not a heavenly one. James spent some time juxtaposing these two things, and, and we can see that pretty clearly here. So over here, you see heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom kind of set apart um, the internal realities. For someone who is walking in one of these, if you are walking in heavenly wisdom, on the inside, that looks like humility. You are humble because you understand who God is and what has been accomplished for you. On the other side, one who is walking in earthly wisdom is filled with selfish ambition and bitter envy because they think they're smart. Uh, you think that you deserve something. You think that you are wise, but you're not. That is earthly wisdom. The external realities of this, someone who is living in heavenly wisdom, they look like on the outside, a pure peacemaker, a pure peacemaker. What that means, purity in this context is referring to the ability to deny sin and to live in such a way that honors God with your body and mind. And peacemaker is referring to the fact that man, they care less about winning arguments than winning people. They wanna create unity in the world around them. Heavenly wisdom creates peacemakers. On the other side, earthly wisdom, what does that lead to? On the outside, that looks like boasting and lying. James teaches that looks like boasting and lying. He says, do not boast and do not be dishonest. When you boast about your wisdom and when you boast in your teaching and your intelligence, you are lying about what wisdom is because boasting sets itself completely apart from humble, true wisdom. And finally, maybe most importantly, the fruit, the, the impact on other people of heavenly wisdom is a harvest of righteousness. If we live in heavenly wisdom as we lead and interact with our church, a harvest of righteousness appears, meaning that we challenge and push our brothers and sisters to live more righteous lives in line with the will of God. On the other hand, earthly wisdom, what is the fruit of that? Disorder and every evil practice. That's really broad. Every evil practice literally means like all sorts of terrible things will happen when leaders are operating in earthly wisdom. So the consequences of, the, the consequences of this being righteousness or evil, it's catastrophic to live in earthly wisdom because true heavenly wisdom bears a harvest of righteousness and the other does the opposite. That means that we, we have to care about this, not just for the way that it affects us, but for the way that it affects our church. So right now, many of you might be asking, hey, that's great, that's well and good, but what does that mean for me? The people that James was writing to, they had some issues, right? But that was corrected. I would argue that the destructive earthly wisdom that James is writing about here, the people he is writing to, I think we can be just like them sometimes. I think sometimes the earthly wisdom can manifest itself in the church, even resonate church. I've seen that in us sometimes. We need to be on guard against it. We need to know how to recognize when it is in us and we need to go to war against it when necessary. Because the consequences of living and especially leading from earthly wisdom are catastrophic. So how do we know when we're doing this? How do we know when we're living in earthly wisdom? Well, James teaches that it looks like selfish ambition and bitter envy. Now I know that it's really hard to self-identify when we're, when we're feeling selfish or envious. So I wanted to give you a few indicators of what that looks like in our church. And I would encourage you, if, if any of these resonate with you, if you hear one of these and think, man, like that hurts because that stings because it's true about me. I would encourage you to talk to somebody about it and to bring this to a peer or a huddle leader just to discuss, man, how, how can I grow in this? So number one, 
First indicator of earthly wisdom, climbing the ladder. Do you care about positions more than people? Do you care about getting into the spot because you feel like you deserve it? Maybe you're in a village and you're looking at the village leader and you're thinking, man, that guy's not got half the experience that I do. That guy is nowhere near to the level of intelligence or man, I could do his job better than him. If you look at the person who is leading your village, maybe you look at your supervisor and you say, man, I could do that better than him. I deserve that position. You might wanna climb the ladder and that is a result of earthly wisdom. That is not wise. You could be the smartest person. You might be right. You might be more qualified for the job. You might be smarter. But if you are trying to climb the ladder, then you have no heavenly wisdom in that moment. Number two, talking but not listening. Are you quick to speak and slow to listen? If you find yourself not hearing what people have to say or trying to rush people through their thoughts so you can just give yours, that is not a picture of humility. That's a picture of arrogance. That's a picture of caring more about what you have to say than what your brothers and sisters have to say. And that is not heavenly wisdom. You, again, you might have the smartest thing in the room to say. You might be brilliant and have this crazy idea, but if you can't listen, then it is of no value because heavenly wisdom manifests itself in humility. And wisdom is not wisdom if you're just smart without humility. Number three, a lack of teachability. This manifests itself in a lack of teachability. If you find yourself getting frustrated or angry when somebody calls you out on something, or when you find yourself proven wrong, if maybe you lose an argument, um, if you find yourself getting angry when people are approaching you with, with something they can see you improve in, then it is likely that you are operating in arrogance and not a heavenly wisdom. If you don't find yourself being teachable, then you lack humility, which means you lack wisdom. Then finally, if you care more about ideas than people, in fact, you can just fill in the blank. If you care more about blank than people, then you are likely not living into heavenly wisdom. If you care more about your position, if you care more about your status, if you care more about the way that you look to other people than other people, again, you can be the smartest guy in the room, but if you care more about your ideas or your position than other people, then you are not operating out of wisdom. This is especially prevalent and important for leaders in the church. So I would ask all of you, huddle leaders, village leaders, resonate staff, even myself, even pastors, are we operating out of true humility? Or do we find ourselves competing with one another and trying to look better than our peers so we can get noticed or maybe just to feel better about ourselves? Do we always have to have the last word on something? Do we feel like we have to be the smartest and most experienced person in the room? When we do that, that's not a heavenly wisdom. That is an earthly wisdom that leads to destruction. On the other hand, someone who is walking in humility can almost never identify it because they're likely not thinking that much about themselves at all. And they understand, someone who's actually humble understands just how much more room that we all have to grow. And the most humble people in the room, they never talk about it, they never say they are. Everyone knows that one guy that goes around talking about how humble they are, but he's actually the worst. So because of that, I don't want to give a list of qualifiers of humility, right? Because what's going to happen is you're going to read it and think, man, I'm killing it at humility. I'm doing so good at being humble. And that kind of defeats the purpose, right? So instead of making a list, I just wanted to give us James chapter 3, verse 17, where he essentially lays out the qualities of this type of humility that comes from heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, 
It is considerate and submissive. It is full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Let's go through all these words. When James says, first of all, pure, he's describing the foremost of the virtues of heavenly wisdom. So purity here refers to the purity that we receive because of Christ and the cross, but it also refers to the purity that we walk in as we deny ourselves and hate sin and follow Jesus. Purity has to do with our obedience to the word of God and it comes from wisdom. Next, we talk about peace loving. That word he links in the scripture to consider it in submissive. These three compromise one idea, right? So peace loving is the idea that is presented in Ephesians 4.3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Heavenly wisdom leads to peace and peace leads to unity and the church cannot function without unity. When we say considerate and submissive, um, we are describing the attributes of someone who is peace loving. They are considerate of the needs of others and they listen more than they talk. They are submissive when they are listening and reflecting and loving other people. So somebody who is peace loving is considerate and submissive. Again, heavenly wisdom, it's pure, it's peace loving. Next, James says it is full of mercy and good fruit. James teaches us that blessed are, sorry, Jesus teaches us, blessed are the merciful for they will obtain mercy. And when James talks about mercy, he is speaking of good works towards those who are in need. That's what he's talking about. We receive mercy, so we give mercy, not just in a, I'm going to have mercy on you in a emotional or social sense, but in a physical, I'm going to come alongside you and serve you sense. Mercy has to do with doing good works. And the good fruit that James refers to is the result of mercy. So heavenly wisdom, it bears fruit as a result of our mercy. And if you find yourself not desiring to help or to serve, if you find yourself not merciful, then you might not have wisdom. Finally, James teaches that heavenly wisdom is both impartial and sincere. Uh, earlier in James 2, um, James says that, man, if you are someone who, is par who has partiality, then you are not reflecting the attributes of God. Because ultimately, there is no partiality in God. Why? Because all of us are made equal in the image of God. Uh, what we mean by partiality is imagine somebody were to walk into your house um, and that person is a millionaire, they're wearing gold chains, they got bling on. Uh, you're going to admit, if you treat that person really well, you roll out like your best food and you're just serving them like crazy because of what you can gain from them. Now imagine though the next day, a homeless person walks in your door and you're like, man, I might give you my scraps, I might give you some water. That is partiality and that is not wise. That is what it means to be impartial, that you're going to treat everyone equally despite their status, despite their gender, despite their race. You are treating people equally because we are all made equal in the image of God. And finally, the word sincerity is used to wrap all of this together. The person characterized by wisdom from heaven is sincere, and that means they're honest, they're consistent, they're transparent, and ultimately they are the type of person that is constantly displaying the virtues of wisdom and on whom one can rely for advice and counsel. James 3.17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it is peace-loving, it is considerate, it is submissive, it is full of mercy and good fruit, it is impartial and sincere. That was a lot. And I don't want us to, to look at this list of wisdom qualities and think, man, I just gotta try harder. Because ultimately these things don't come naturally to us, right? Like we are not naturally pure and impartial. At the end of the day, these things are the fruit of wisdom. If we just try harder to be humble and sincere and peaceable, then we go down the role of moralism, which leads to failure. 
So at the end of the day, if we want these qualities, we must seek wisdom. And where do we start? Where do you go to get wisdom? Thankfully, James has an answer for us there too. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So if you remember back to Proverbs, wisdom is a gift from God. And James is claiming in this passage that what? To receive wisdom, all we have to do is ask. I wish I could give you 10 steps to becoming wise, but it's as simple as that. In your prayers, every day, ask God for his wisdom, the type of wisdom that will be humble and peaceable and loving and sincere. I can understand that, man, we've just gone through all this content. We've talked about earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, and I'm ending by just saying, hey, just pray about it. That's frustrating, right? I get that. That can be frustrating to hear at the end of all this. Just pray about it. But at the end of the day, that's what the Bible teaches. And I don't want to overcomplicate it. But to give some context, I would love to tell you a story of how I've seen this work out in my own life. Um, So about five years ago, I was on staff at Resonate Church in Pullman. And I remember seeing all of my friends going and planting churches. They were being SPs and they were being church planters and site pastors. And I remember seeing them and thinking, I could do that. I really want to climb the ladder. I deserve to do that. I'm just as good. I might even be better at this than those guys. I remember thinking back then, oh, so arrogant. Like, I could do what they do. And then I'd go into meetings and there'd be names and lists put on boards and my name wouldn't be on it. And I would just be so deeply offended by this truth that I wasn't the guy. I wasn't ready, but I didn't believe that. One day my supervisor came up to me and he looked me in the eye and said, James, you're not a pastor. You can't do this. You're not ready. You're too, you're, you're too arrogant. You're not, you're not, you don't have the skills. You can't do this. And my first reaction to that was just anger. I was so mad. But then I went home and, and have you guys ever had a moment where maybe you've been living in, in some darkness for a while or some sin and suddenly everything, a, 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 a switch flips and suddenly you, you, everything is exposed to you. In that moment, uh, it just hit me, my arrogance, my pride, just, just how wrong I was to think that I knew better than my elders or to think that I deserved something because I'd put in work. That's not how it works. So what happened was I was convicted of this. God convicted me of my arrogance and my lack of wisdom out of the words of my supervisor. And from there, I couldn't help myself. Every day I would beg God, God, make me wise. Help me to stop being so arrogant. Give me humility. Make me wise. And out of that, man, I'm, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I'm super wise today, but I am wiser now than I was then. And I remember I stopped caring about climbing the ladder. I stopped thinking that I deserved something because I worked or because I was a certain, because I thought I was smart enough. God gave me wisdom when I asked for it. And I want to continue to do so. And that came out of a desire and a need to be transformed out of my arrogance. And one of my prayers is that that might happen to us. If we're, if we're listening to this and if you think, man, if you're convicted in your heart, maybe I care about climbing the ladder. Maybe I care more about how smart I am and how I look in front of people. Maybe I'm walking in pride and arrogance, which is the opposite of wisdom and humility. Maybe you hear that. My prayer is that we would pray and ask God to transform us knowing and believing that God promises that he will do so. All we have to do is ask. So resonate, I wanna leave you with one last thought. James 3, verse 18, it says this. Peacemakers who sow in peace 
reap a harvest of righteousness. You may be wondering, what does this have to do with wisdom? Well, according to James 3, heavenly wisdom makes one peace-loving, right? Wisdom leads to humility, which leads to peace-loving. And when you are peace-loving, you become a peacemaker. Can you name a single church in history that has had lasting impact with no peace? I can name a bunch of churches that were a flash in the pan, had disunity and crumbled. Can you name a single village that you've been in that had no peace but had lasting impact? I've coached and seen and been in a lot of villages and the ones that do anything successful are unified. They're peaceful. Our effectiveness and longevity as a church, as small groups, and as followers of Jesus have so much to do with the peace and the unity with which we live towards one another. And we cannot be peaceful if we're not humble. And we can't be humble if we're not wise. On the other hand, if we ask God for wisdom, and if we grow in this humility and in this peace, I can't even imagine what is possible and what God could use for us to do. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for allowing us to hear your words in the book of James. I pray that you would give us wisdom. That as a church, we would grow in heavenly wisdom. You would remove the pride and arrogance from us as we remember the truth that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray that you would help us to experience you and to see you and that in your presence, we would gain wisdom that leads to humility, that would lead to peace, that would lead to power and righteousness. Lord, we need you for this. We cannot do this without you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply wanna see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.